we are going to be starting a brand new series called Seven Letters. Um, but I, man, we had such a good time last week. How many of you guys were here last week on Easter? Such a good time. And we saw so many people respond to the, the invitation to either come back to the Father's house or to start following Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you did, if you prayed a prayer like that with us last week, uh, we have something called First Steps for New Believers class, and, and that's coming right up. And it, we will help you walk this thing out, uh, talking about baptism and just growing in Jesus. We don't want to just leave you there. We want to take you on a journey with Jesus. And so you can go to journeykc.com slash the 411. Sign up for that. I encourage you to do that because we don't want you just to stay where you are because it's a journey with Jesus. That's why we call it Journey Church because we're all on a journey. And so today, though, we're starting a brand new series on the seven letters in the book of Revelation. How many of you guys ever get mystified a little bit by the book of Revelation at times, right? So... Uh, let's talk about this a little bit. We're not going to go through the whole book, but there's a lot of imagery and pictures in there. And we have to first understand that the book of Revelation was inspired uh, by, through the Holy Spirit, breathing through these pages, uh, and the apostle John wrote this book. Now, we know that all the apostles, except for John, were, were martyred. And they, you know, through tradition or history or from the scriptures, we can see that. And they tried to martyr John. They put, put him in boiling, like, in, in, to try to boil him to death because he was preaching too much. You ever have one of those friends that just talks all the time? And you're like, what, what do I got to do to get rid of these people? Like, like that's where this guy, the, the, these people, this government was like, this guy's preaching all the time. We can't get him to shut up. And so they went to an extreme, and they're like, we'll try to kill him. And he just kept preaching. And so eventually they just exiled him to this island called Patmos because they thought, well, at least we'll just get rid of him. And so they, they sent him to this island. And while he's on this island, he's instructed to write the book of Revelation. And as a part of this book of Revelation, in, in chapters 2 and 3, which is what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, he writes seven letters to seven churches. Now, these are actual churches that existed at the time. Ones that, you know, Paul was involved in planting and, and different things. They're actual people, actual cities, actual letters. And he was speaking to them, but he was also speaking through them to us if we have ears to hear. And sometimes we can look at these things in Scripture where it was like, oh, he was just talking to them. And it, it, we kind of don't pay attention to that. Let, let me just, as we're talking about letters, how many of you guys actually still write handwritten letters and send them UPS? Anybody? Uh, some of you guys. I was shocked by that last night as well. I'm like, man, this is like old school. Like, I don't know. That's, that's crazy. How many of you guys love getting junk mail, though? Anybody love getting junk mail? <laughs> I get junk mail all the time, and I just look at it and just throw it right in the trash. I was reading some stats this week. It takes 100 million trees a year to produce the bulk mail in our life. That's, the, that's equivalent, equivalent to deforesting Rocky Mountain National Park every four months. Just for junk mail, okay? But, but this, these letters that we're reading today is not something we just throw away. It's not something we just say, oh, he was just talking with them. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just going to throw it. No, this is something for us today. And so we need to kind of get on the edge of our seat spiritually, so to speak, to be able to receive this. Revelation chapter two, verse one, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, as we go through this, you're going to see there's a lot of imagery, as you know, in the book of Revelation. And, and when he talks about the angel of the church, most 
scholars and theologians believe just by the definition of the word when you research it out. It means messenger, which is talking specifically to the lead pastor of these churches. Because he would write this letter to the lead pastor, and the lead pastor would then present the letter uh, to the church. And so when you see the angel of the church, he's talking to the pastor in Ephesus, and he talks about the seven golden lampstands. And those seven golden lampstands represent each one of those churches. And so you just follow through with the imagery, and it all makes sense. And he, he talks to this city or this church has been planted in the city of Ephesus. Now, we know just a little bit of background before we hit the ground running, but Ephesus was a major city in that time. It was a, one of the main areas for economic, political, uh, you know, spiritual. There was all kinds of activity happening in the city. It was one of the main hubs in the whole area. There was about 250,000 people in the city at the time. They had all kinds of stuff going for them. They had a, uh, almost a 25,000 seat uh, Theater, where I mean, all kinds of stuff happened in this theater. It was the center for the worship of the goddess Diana or Artemis, and there was the temple there that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And there was a lot of evil practices that were happening there. And so, right in the midst of all of that, you know, these, this church gets planted in Ephesus. What's also interesting in this city that at some time or the other, some of the pastors of the church in Ephesus were guys like Paul. Guys like Timothy and guys like John. How, how many of you guys think that'd be cool to have pastors like that in, in your city? I mean, you talk about bragging rights, like my pastor's Paul, you know? And so there's a lot of history. But right in the midst of that is where this gets planted. Now, this letter that we're looking at out of the book of Revelation was written around 40 years or so after the church was originally planted. That's important. It's important because, how many of you guys know what happens at the beginning of things and the start of things and the fire that we kind of sometimes have can sometimes be lost over time, can't it? I mean, we're talking about 40 years have passed. And also it's significant because there were probably a lot of second-generation Christians, people who maybe had never experienced what had happened at the very beginning. And so out of that comes this letter. And so... Uh, to kind of give us a little more visual and kind of put us in the mood for this letter, here is the letter that was written to the church at Ephesus. Let's watch. Here's a portion of the first letter. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Revelation 2, 1 through 5. In this first letter, the church at Ephesus was praised for their perseverance, opposition to evil, and their rejection of false apostles and pagan practices. But they were also criticized for leaving their first love and warned to return to the love they had as early Christians. All right, so let's dig into this. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. Let's break it down a little bit. He says, I know your works and your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my, sake, my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. 
They had some good things going for them, right? I mean, they had some right doctrine. They had some faithfulness. They were sticking with it even when times got tough. How many of you guys know those things are important? The Bible talks a lot about that, about truth, about sticking to things, about being faithful and not giving up. But the letter goes on because it, and you'll kind of see a pattern in all of these letters as we go through this. But the letter goes on in verse 4. But I have this against you. Now remember, Jesus is, this is really Jesus speaking to the church. It says that you have abandoned the love that you had at the first. You had abandoned the love that you had at the first. What happened is these people had big Bibles, but not very big hearts. They were, had a lot of good doctrine, but they didn't have a lot of love for people. You know, how easy is it for us to make sure that we have all, of, they had a lot of activity going on but they had lost the love that they had for God that was pure and genuine, and they lost their love for people. And they knew, they, they knew what was right. They, they knew what to do, but somehow they had forgotten and left those things out over time. How you guys know it's one thing to know what kind of heart you should have. It's one thing to know how you should look and love people. It's one thing to know how you should love God, but it's another thing to do those things, Right? I heard this quote a long time ago. It stuck with me. It says, maturity is measured not by how much you know, but by how much you do of what you know. See, a lot of times we think that if we just accumulate knowledge, well, I, I read another book, I did another Beth Moore book study, I did another, you know, I did another, you know, uh, podcast, I, I, you know, listened to another sermon, I took a seminary class online. Like, we accumulate all this knowledge, and we think that knowledge is maturity, but knowledge isn't maturity. You know, even just, even experience isn't maturity. It, it, it's like what we do with those things and how it affects us because I think all of us here want to be a part of a powerful church, right? Like, I mean, we talk about like signs and wonders and walking in the power and the authority of God. We all want to be a part of a powerful church where God is moving, right? How many of you guys want to be a part of that? I do. I want to be a part of that. How many of you guys want to have powerful lives, right? That, that God is moving through us, right? But, but our church is only as powerful as it is loving, Our lives are only as powerful as they are loving. And you know, Jesus says that it starts with people in this room. If we can't love each other, we can't love out, outwardly either. And how many of you guys know, some of the hardest people to love are the people closest to you, aren't I mean, aren't they? <laughs> right? Because we see everything, right? But, but our, our lives... Listen, our, our marriages, our relationships, our friendships, our families are only as powerful as they are loving. And, and that's what is being addressed here, that you've lost your first love. And, and this letter, like I said, is not just written to the church in Ephesus, it's written to us today. To say, how, how is my life going? How is my love going? And it keeps going in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent... And do the works you did at the first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, there's three things I want to talk about out of this scripture. Two of them are actual words that are written down there, and one's an idea. But the words you can circle are remember. If you, have, if you write in your Bible, how many of you guys like, actually have a physical Bible that you write in? I do. If you like to, you can circle the word remember. 
And then you get a couple options of where to circle this one, but you can circle the word repent. And then there's the idea of return, to return back to your first love. Those are the three ideas that are coming through in this letter, to remember, to repent, and to return. And we have to understand some things about the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God, it always seems upside down, right? It seems backwards. Like, if you want to be great, Jesus says in the kingdom of God, you become the servant of everyone else. You guys know that doesn't make sense, does it, right? It's like, I want to be great. You're like, become a servant. Or I want to, I want to build a bigger life. And, and the way to build a bigger life is to build it on the inside rather than the outside. See, we think the outside, like, I want to build a bigger life. I'm going to build bigger, bigger, bigger. And no, it starts in here if you want to build a bigger life. You know, we, we think of, you know, money and, and amounts, right? But Jesus in the kingdom, he, he defies it all. Remember, there's a story of this, uh, Jesus is going to a service and he's at offering time. And he sees people giving a bunch of money in the offering. And then he sees this widow come and give two mites, or we could just say two pennies for our example. Like this, this widow gave two pennies, but this was all she had. And she gave it sacrificially. She gave it faithfully. She gave it generously. And Jesus said, those of you guys who, who just gave all this other money, she gave more. See, in the kingdom, somehow the widow with two mites gave more than those who gave much more because it's upside down. So even the, you know, whoever gives the most in the church, I don't know who that is, but whoever gives the most in this church, if not given from a sacrificial point or a cheerful, joyful, as the scripture talks about, Somebody who doesn't have hardly anything but gives sacrificially, faithfully, generously, cheerfully, somehow in the kingdom of God, that money will go further than someone who gave more. Because that's how the kingdom of God works. And so in the kingdom of God, sometimes the way forward is backwards to go back and return. Some of us are stuck in a spot, and you think, i got to move forward and lean forward. And we'll talk about that. But sometimes it's to return back to first love. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about recreating the past. Because I talked about this a couple weeks ago. How many of you guys remember I took you up to my mushroom spot and the tree that fell down, right? I'm not talking about redoing what happened in the past. But what I am talking about is recreating the environment in my heart for experiences similar to that to happen in a fresh new way. I'm not talking about redoing that and recreating that but experiencing first in a fresh new way. So what happens with these people in the, book of Eph- in the letter to Ephesus is they had drifted, right? They had drifted. How many of you guys know you never drift in a positive way, do you? I mean, as I've said before, you, when you're trying to eat right and you start to drift, you never drift into broccoli. You always drift into ice cream, don't you? When, when you're trying to, like, work out and be healthy, you, you never drift into the gym. You never just like, how did I get here? I'm pumping iron. Like, how did this happen? I don't know. I just drifted. No, you always drift in a bad way, right? Same is true spiritually. We always drift. And, and so when you think about your life, like how have you drifted? Maybe there's some areas in life that we need to return back. What would it look like to return back to our first love? I asked uh, Pastor Aaron and Sarah to share some thoughts. We were talking this week, and so... Uh, They're going to take you to a place that's very special that ties in with their return. So let's watch. So we're talking about the idea of returning to a first love, a first idea, an earlier passion, an earlier dream. Things like this 
And uh, Sarah and I have both been reading books that deal uh, in some ways with this idea. So what's the one that you've been reading? So my book is about Aaron. Um, so Aaron was my first true love. And um, this book is called The Love Dare. And a lot of you probably have heard of it. It came out of a movie called Fireproof um, Marriage. And it's a book about challenging yourself daily uh, to love your spouse uh, with words, deeds, actions. Um, it's an exercise to remember why you love the person you married. Aaron and I have been married mm -hmm. 25 years now. And, you know, it just doesn't come easy to, you know, I mean, we signed a commitment. We said words in front of each other 25 years ago, but you have to rekindle that. Yeah. And part of rekindling for me is this book. This is the second time I've read this book. And I think this will be something I'll continue to read probably for the rest of my life, just to keep that fire and that passion mm -hmm. and love on fire for the two of us. You have to be intentional. You have to make decisions and choices. You have to use your will. And um, I've been reading a book that's really different than the one she's been reading, but it still deals with some of the same ideas. And so I've been going back through the book, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. I've read this book so many times, I can't even tell you, but I keep going back to it because it's dealing with the idea that in the heart of man, there is a place that was designed uh, and and really created for God to inhabit. There's a place that the book talks about is like a shrine in the deepest part of our heart that God is supposed to live in that place. We're supposed to have God there. But what man does, what women do, is they take other things and they put other things in that holy place. And when that happens, your heart becomes sick. And, and this book is calling people to return back to a place where that part of your heart is pure and holy to God and God inhabits it. Let me read you just a little excerpt of this book to give you kind of a feeling for what it's saying. It says, there is within the human heart a tough fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their, cons their constant and universal use is significant. They express the real nature of the old Adamic man better than a thousand volumes of theology could ever do. They are verbal symptoms of our deep disease. The roots of our heart have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up one rootlet lest we die. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gift now takes the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. And so this book is calling people back to a place of purity where God inhabits and really captivates our hearts alone and nothing else does. And so the idea of going back and finding a place where God can take us somewhere better, bigger, uh, and more pure is really relevant because not only are we reading these books, we're standing in a place right now that is an example of God calling us back to an earlier dream, an earlier idea, and then saying, now from here, I want to take you somewhere 
bigger than you ever thought before. So we're standing inside a prayer cabin that we have in our backyard that has an interesting history. And last year we went on a sabbatical and, and one of the things that came out of that sabbatical was a vision for a place of prayer and, and uh, really solitude with God that kind of starts where we're standing right now, but then grows from here and branches out into something even bigger. Kind of share a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, last year when we went on the sabbatical, um, my daughter and I went away and God spoke to me pretty clearly um, about starting something, uh, intermission, uh, which is this prayer retreat cabin. Um, but the vision was really big. Um, I mean, it was, there was land, there were buildings, things that I, we didn't, we have, don't have, we don't have, yeah. um, right now. And, um, and so we got back from the sabbatical and I remember at some point being back and God just said, use what you have. And what an awesome thing, you yeah. know, that God does supply the things that he wants us to use and you to use where you are right, um, right there. In, um, you know, tools, uh, resources. You just have to look around and just kind of open your mind to the yeah. things that are around you. And we looked in our backyard and there was a chicken coop, an old chicken coop shed. And so this is what this is. This used to be our old chicken coop and we have transformed it into what is now the prayer cabin. Chickens used to live in here. <laughs> and, and you know, I mean, you know, we don't have the land and the things that I saw previously, but this is where God wanted us to start. Mm -hmm. And we acted on faith and we stepped out and we did something and created a place for God to speak and move. And here he is. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. And I can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, it, this is a real life, real world example of returning to something that God placed in our hearts and then God taking that and saying, now I'm going to show you how much bigger this is going to be than you ever dreamed it would be. And so, like just like Sarah said, when he calls you back, uh, he will give you an opportunity to take a step right away. There may be a vision or, or, or a dream connected with that return that seems bigger than what you have available at, you know, hand's reach. But God will give you a step that you can take. You can make an intentional decision today to return and put that in God's hands and just see what happens. And it's amazing. Amen. Let's give God some praise for that word from them. So it's probably different for everybody, and in fact, I'm, I'm fairly confident it is that when you think, because some of us have been following Jesus for a long time, others of us, maybe it was, you know, yesterday, but for those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, we can probably think back to a thing that, a time when God was really moving in our life, when God was really, in his presence was so tangible, and for me, I can think of several times, but I was thinking this week and praying about it, and I go all the way back to, I believe it was 1993, and I was a teenager, and we were on a missions trip. And I remember being uh, outside, I remember early in the morning that I would wake up early in the morning and go outside the hotel where we were staying, and it just kind of felt, I just remember the feeling of it, it just felt very tropical and the weather and all that sort of thing. And I remember getting out there early in the morning and it, and it wasn't about just getting up early in the morning, but there was such a hunger inside of me for just being with God. Just having my Bible and just everything I read just came alive. 
Everything I read was just like, I mean, just jumping out of the page, and I was just devouring it so much that as a teenager, I wore the covers off my Bibles. This is one of my Bibles, one of them, because I have others that I've held together with rubber bands and are falling apart and stuff, but this, I believe this was the actual one, and I, I would read my Bible so much that the covers would just wear off, and now I had to I have to buy a Bible that, you know, it's, it's a very expensive Bible, and now the, the pages are sewn in and guaranteed and stuff like that, because I just wear them out, but I just, I remember that hunger on the inside. Do you remember a time like that, when it's just like, I mean, everything was just alive and fresh. I remember the same Bible. I was at a youth retreat a couple years later, and I, I opened this up this week, and I, I looked at the back, and there at the top, it, I wrote down, don't ever limit God. And I think back to that probably 16-year-old Sean, and I just remember how I felt in that moment. The expansive faith that was on the inside when I wrote that down. Just being in a moment like that. I, I remember times, another time when I was a teenager and I came down to an altar call where it was just kind of worship and just hunger for God and I was hungry for revival. And as I'm there worshiping there at the altar, somebody came and they laid their hands on me and prayed for me. And instantly when they touched me, I don't know what, how to describe this, but I felt like a brick wall just crumbled, like I crumbled straight to the floor. I don't know how I got on the floor, but I laid there in the presence of God. I just remember times of just, just serving people and, and loving people. And how many guys know that over time, what happens? The more people that we encounter, the more lenses we put up to be able to see people through and the harder it is to love people and the more ex- experiences we have that give us reasons not to love fully. I, I remember a time when I just loved, like we were serving the homeless. We were serving the poor in Mexico. I didn't have a bunch of lenses there to try to process that through. I just thought, well, this is what God does, right? And so I, I'm not trying to, I don't want to recreate and replicate those experiences. I don't have to go back to that same hotel and hold this same Bible to try to sit there and make that experience happen. I don't, I don't have to do that. But I do want, as I said before, I do want to replicate the environment on the inside of me, that, that hunger on the inside of me that produced those type of environments, those type of experiences. And, and listen, I, I know, you know, when we talk about the loving people and stuff, it's really hard for us because we do have all those lenses. And, and I, here's what I want you to understand. You don't have to be naive to be able to love in a pure way. You, you know, I, I know for me, I've asked God to, to help me in that area because sometimes I was like, God, how do I love people when I know this stuff? And so I started praying not, not just to ignore it, but that I would have an innocence in my heart once again, a purity towards people. And that's possible by the power of Jesus. You can look at people not being naive about how things work, but you can look at people with an innocence in your heart towards them because that's how Jesus does. And so I want to recreate that environment in my heart. So I remember, again, as a teenager, by the way, this is like a shameless advertisement for our bold experience for your teenagers. If they're not going, they need to go. Because it's these environments, these experiences like that that marked me forever, that preserved me through my teenage years loving God and beyond, that I had encounters with God. And, and if you don't think it's important, I'm telling you, it, it's, one of the most, it's, it's one of the most important things you could do for your kids. And I remember being a kid and a teenager when I discovered that I could pray for an hour. As a teenager, 
I would pray for an hour going through the Lord's Prayer. And I remember uh, reading these scriptures in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. It says, And when you pray, do not, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We sang about the secret place. I remember as a teenager just having a hunger and a desire to be in a secret place with God. I just remember that, that heart to be in that secret place with God. And then I, I remembered at some point, I was like, well, I hear these old timers talk about it being like a, not a secret place, but a prayer closet. How many of you guys know what I'm, like, what's a prayer closet? Like, go into your prayer closet. And then one day I discovered it. You have to go to the King James to find this out, but I'll just read it. It says, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I said, there it is. It's a closet. And as a teenager, uh, you know, I have four brothers, and my, my dad just built us rooms. We, he didn't have enough space for us to each have our own, own room. Uh, so he created these rooms. They were basically eight by eight jail cells, basically. That's what they were like. And in there, he built a built-in bed and a desk and like a, a makeshift wall that was kind of an incomplete closet. And I was like, there's my closet. And so I went and I put these blankets up and tacked them up to make this room uh, that was a little two, it was a little two foot by two foot area that was a closet. I did hang my clothes in it, but I thought, well, I'm going to go pray in that closet. And there's my prayer closet. And then I remembered, no, it says pray, it goes in secret. And so I created a secret tunnel from my bed underneath my desk into my closet so that whenever I would go pray, I could slither from my bed into the closet and no one know that I'm there so that I could be praying in secret in my closet. And I wasn't legalistic about it or anything like that, but I just thought there's something about that hunger and desire to just go after God, right? And again, I don't want to recreate that. I don't have to go in my two-foot-by-two-foot two closet to experience the things of God, but I do want to have that same hunger again. I do want to return back to that first love. But then I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, you know what? A couple years ago, I did recreate it. And I remembered back to January 2020. Oh, what a different world we lived in. And I remembered back to... Uh, prayer thing that I built. It wasn't a cabin, but it was pretty close to a cabin for me. Uh, it really wasn't, guys. You're going to see very quickly. It was nothing like the prayer cabin, but I'll just show this to you to show that that hunger kind of resurfaced in me in a brand new way to experience a first in a brand new way. Take a look at this video from January 2020. All right, we're going into a brand new year, and I want to tell you guys about what my wife Becca and I are doing. We're going to be fasting. Oh, the joys of fasting. Uh, but it's so powerful when we fast. And so we're going to be fasting food for several days. And as a part of that, I want to invite you guys to go along with that if the Lord leads you to do that. But also, I built my very own prayer room in my garage. So I'm going to invite you into it. I It's not pretty, but it's so awesome. Okay, so I've got several uh, sheets here. You don't have to get fancy with this, guys. You can just do whatever you want here. It's like the tabernacle in the Old Testament, okay? So come on in. I'll show you what I've got going on here. 
Watch your step there. Uh, I've, got, I've got my music here. I can Bluetooth this right here. I've got my fireplace and it's actually on right now. And the reason it's on is because my garage is not insulated at all. So throughout the winter, throughout the next several days and weeks, as I'm out here seeking God, I'm gonna be huddled by this little fire because this is not insulated. So I put some sleeping bags up here just to give me a little bit of, of insulation between me and the cold. But this is where I plan to have my coffee, have my Bible during the fast and to really just have a private place to really seek God. And so you don't have to get fancy with it, but I do want to invite you guys, if you are inclined to do that, to do fasting and prayer this year, I want to invite you along. Pastor Aaron and Sarah are going to be doing that as well. And if God leads you to go ahead and just jump right on in and let's make 2020 the best year yet. Man, I had no, I hadn't. You talk about being naive, guys. You talk about... Let me tell you, though, this is a good, a good reminder to put the Word of God in you before you think you need it so that it'll be there when you do. To kind of Because some of us are going, life's great right now, right? I don't need a prayer closet. Life's great. Now, you don't know what's around the corner that you're going to need to have some deposits on the inside of you, right? And so, again, it, you know... I, <laughs> Let's just keep going. Revelation chapter two, verse six. Kind of wrap it up. It says, yet you have this, or yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans. We'll talk about that in a couple letters later, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, obviously, he's talking about something much bigger than even this, than this topic, but there's a principle there that's true for us that whenever we do these things that he's talking about in this letter, there is fruit, there is life in these things. Whenever we remember, whenever we repent, and whenever we return, there is life. The question is, do we have ears to hear or is this just junk mail that we're throwing out? Because as we do these things, there is life. And so as we close, I want to give you three questions that tie in with each one of these phrases. And you might write them down. These are for purposes of just taking them to meditate on them and to invite the Holy Spirit uh, into this process. Uh, the first one is remember. Uh, what have I forgotten that I need to meditate on again? And listen, if you've forgotten it, you need the Holy Spirit to reveal it. But that's okay. Take it to the Holy Spirit. Are there things in my life that I used to have involved in my life, that I've, I used to meditate on, there are things that I used to think about, that I used to have, that I've forgotten and I need to meditate on again. And maybe for some of us, it's just as simple as thinking about the joy of our salvation. Because we can get so bogged down with the cares of life, we can get so bogged down with what's in front of us, that if we could just zoom out and see eternity, that everything we're dealing with right now as the scripture says, is just momentary light afflictions compared to eternity. When we think about the joy that is for all eternity, that this is just one little slice right now, right? And if we could just zoom out and think about the grace that God has for us, the love that God has for us, then maybe what's so heavy on us right now, maybe what's so burdensome on us right now would be lifted up and lifted off of us. But are there some things that I've forgotten that I need to meditate on again? All right, how about the next one? Repent. You might write this down. What are some things that I need to change the way I think about? What are different things? Maybe I need to change the way I need to think about it because that's actually the definition of repentance. 
You know, it's been said that one of the definitions of repentance, it kind of goes like this, and I've taught on this before, but let this be a reminder. Repentance is going this way, I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing, and if I want to repent, I have to do a 180 and turn around and start going this way and do a new thing. And that's where a lot of people think is a definition of repentance. And that easily, quickly goes into thinking of it as behavior modification. That I'm doing this thing, and if I want to repent, I have to stop doing this thing and do a different thing. That is not biblical repentance. Because biblical repentance has more to do with our thoughts, okay? So then somebody was like, aha, I get it. What, what repentance is, biblical repentance is, I'm thinking this way, I'm thinking wrongly, and if I could do a 180 in my thinking and start thinking right, then my behavior will change, and that's true repentance. It's close. You're almost there. That's almost biblical repentance. Biblical repentance is not just changing what I'm doing or changing what I'm thinking. Biblical repentance changes the way you think. So biblical repentance is changing the way I think about people. It's changing the way I think about sin. It's changing the way I think about God. It's not just changing the what I'm doing or the what I'm thinking. It's changing the actual way. And so the examples I've given before is, is this to kind of help us illustrate this. I used to think, before I moved to Kansas City, I used to think that barbecue was hamburgers in the backyard on a styrofoam plate. Then I moved down here, and I was like, I found myself drifting, I guess you could say. But this was a good one. I, I drifted to what used to be called Oklahoma Joe's, to a gas station. And I'm standing out in the line, and all of a sudden I've heard about this, and I go down, and, and I had barbecue, and all of a sudden I could not untaste what I tasted or unsee what I saw, or unthink what I thought, and now the total way I thought about barbecue has completely changed forever. Maybe it's a little different for somebody else. Maybe it's uh, Jack Stack baked beans. Come on, somebody. I used to think one way about Jack Stack, and Bob turned me on to that, but I used to think one way about Jack Stack baked beans, and then when I, or about baked beans, but when I had Jack Stack, man, not just what I did, not just what I thought, but I can't undo what happened to me. I can't do it. You're going to have to praise him a little bit louder than that when we do it in worship later on just to alleviate your conscience there. But, um, but the, way I changed, the way I thought totally changed, so much so that now I bought my own smoker and I smoke my own meat because I can't, I'm not going to be putting hamburgers on a styrofoam plate anymore. Why? So what the, not just what I did change, not just what I thought changed, but the total way I thought about it totally changed. That is biblical repentance. I had repented about barbecue in the biblical sense of the way, the word. The same thing, like I grew up in a small town. I, I rode, we rode bikes everywhere. I mean, there was 400 people in the town. And I remember the first time that I went on an airplane and then later on to fly over the ocean. But as everything's getting smaller, how many of you guys know the way I thought about the world had, was forever altered at that point? The way I saw it, I couldn't go back. I couldn't go back and unthink it or unsee it. That's, I had repented. You know, when, when I held my firstborn son in my arms, I had heard people talk about it. 
I had watched movies about it. I'd thought about it. But when I actually held him in my arms for the first time, the way I thought about life changed forever. I couldn't undo what happened to me. That's biblical repentance. We were talking about this in our leadership group the other day. But for many of us guys, when we became fathers, also the way we thought about the gospel forever changed. Because the idea of a father giving up his son, the way we thought about it, could, we couldn't put that back in the box. We couldn't unthink that thought now. That's biblical repentance. And so what are some things in our life that we, not, we don't just need to stop doing or do something else. We don't need to just stop thinking or think something else. But the whole way we think about that person changes. The whole way we think about church changes. The whole way we think about God changes. The whole way we think about the issue changes. What are some areas? Allow the Holy Spirit into that. And then going back to return. You know, for me, I'm getting ready to return to that moment, that first moment, in a totally fresh new way. Not, not you know, Becca's not pregnant. Okay, I'm not, I'm not telling you that. We did just watch Father of the Bride 2 the other night, but, um, but my son is getting, I mean, my son and daughter-in-law, they're getting ready to have a baby at any moment. They could be having it right now. I don't know. I don't see them in the room, so I don't know. But literally any day now. And I am going to see my son have that moment that he can't undo. And so I'm going to go back to a first, but I'm going to go through the first in a totally fresh new way. And I'm going to see it through his eyes. See, there are some things in our life that we need to return to. We're not trying to replicate, but we're going to see them through a brand new way if we open up and allow the Holy Spirit to do this. And so this idea of return, let me finish this, return, what are some things that I stopped doing that I need to start doing again in a new way? As the worship team comes back up, you know, for some of us, is there a prayer closet in your future? Maybe a prayer garage? I don't know. Just something that maybe, not replicating things, but maybe you used to pray for others. Maybe you used to get, you guys ever have those moments, I do, where God will wake me up in the middle of the night and prompt me to pray for somebody. And then I went through seasons where I'd get, I'd be, woke up in the middle of the night and be prompted to pray. I'm like, ah, I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> Maybe there's a time in your life where you need to rekindle some certain things in your life. Maybe you used to pray for others. Maybe you used to believe for miracles, but you, you saw some things go a different way and you kind of stopped. Maybe you need to return to those things. Maybe you need to you used to share your story, but then you stopped. Maybe you used to do, like, like I was in the DMV um, on Friday, you know, just spending time with God and stuff, you know, <laughs> DMV, because I had time on my hands. And, but I, I, I got there, I checked in, I sat down at my seat, and I asked this question that I've asked before, and I've told you guys, you know, I heard this a long time ago, and I practice this regularly, but here's the question. As I sat down in the DMV, I said, God, what are you doing in this place? And how can I be a part? And I just scanned around to see if God would prompt anything. Maybe you used to do that. Maybe you used to walk into a grocery store and say, God, what are you doing in this place? And how can I be a part? And made yourself available. 
Maybe there's some things we've got to return back to. Let's not recreate it, but let's recreate the environment for things like that to happen. Let's reset our love and our hunger for more of God. Would you guys stand up for me or stand up with me as we go to the Lord in, in prayer? Lord, we thank you for, for your love for us. We remember your grace and your love on the cross that you died for us. You paid the price for our sins so that we could walk in this freedom. But Lord, we don't want to ever get so far away from that that it becomes just commonplace. Lord, help us to return back to our first love for you. Help us to have that hunger and a desire to pursue you, to be in your presence like we, we once did, not to recreate experiences, but to recreate hunger in our heart. And so, Lord, we give this moment to you as we come to you in response of that. Holy Spirit, would you reveal these things by faith that you need to speak to our heart? Would you place in us fresh desires for first things? Lord, help us to lean into you more than we ever have before in this new season. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.